chapter 6, if you're keeping track. Now there have been officials elected and uh, governments established and powers established, but nothing's changed in the kingdom of God, has it? God is still on the throne and the Lord is still in charge of things. And so let's look to him for our lead, for our directives, and if you'll turn to Amos chapter 6, we'll find ourselves uh, continuing on in this study. And I am captivated by the first verse of chapter 6. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. A woe is a prophetic warning. We know that this has been a book of warning that God has been giving to Israel, the ten northern tribes. And he says, Woe to those who are complacent or at ease in Zion and you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. And so, feeling a sense of ease. If you'll remember, Israel at this point in history is actually very prosperous, doing quite well, very rich, What's happened is there's been this huge gulf developed between those who have and those who do not. And those who do not are being trampled on by those who have. And so there's great social injustice in Israel. And this grieves the heart of God the Father. For how many of you remember what James says true religion is? According to the book of James, true religion or true Christianity is caring for the widow and the orphans and not having prejudice against others. This is the true gospel. And God is grieved over what's going on in Israel. And so as he speaks to them of the judgment coming, he says, woe to you who are at rest, those who are at ease in Israel. In other words, he's saying, what happened to you? And then in verses 3 and 4, he says, are you going to go go over to this city and to that city and to that town? And what he names are major cities in that area of other countries that have been defeated who were very strong. And he said, do you think you're any better than they are? In other words, if I have allowed judgment to the best uh, cities in other nations, do you not know I can do it with you too? So he says, why are you so at ease? And then he goes on and he lists how they're at ease. And he says this, he says, you lie in beds inlaid with ivory and you lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David to improvise your musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions for your skin. You pamper yourself, you're rich and spoiled, and you don't look or don't even care for the injustice that's in the streets and around about you. God's upset with them that they would be so self-centered. He says your homes, your furnishing, your clothes are more important to you than the kingdom of God. He says you eat the best food and as much as you desire. Your attention is put on entertainment and pleasure and you drink till you're intoxicated by the bowlful. Again, I think that sounds very, very similar to a nation that maybe we live in certainly describes the gluttony and the attitude of America, doesn't it? And what Jesus says in verse 8 is this, the Lord has sworn by himself, I hate the pride of Jacob, and I hate your palaces. 
Therefore, I will deliver up the city with all that is therein. He's just sick of their condition. As Jesus said to the Laodicean church, you have become at ease. You have adopted the same temperature as the society around you. You're not hot nor cold, but you are the same temperature of the society you live in. Your salt has lost its savor. Your light is no longer distinguishable from darkness. And so this is a problem. And so what is the root of all this? He starts out with those who are complacent in Zion. Complacency, that's the problem. Complacency. And so let's take a look at that this morning. Complacency is to be self-satisfied to a point at which danger becomes obscured. And so in the church, is there such complacency that we are not recognizing the hour we live in? Or the need that is round about us? within our own homes, within our own families, within those that we work with, the cubicles next to us, are we even paying attention to the look on people's faces? Or are we so concerned with ourselves we don't need to pay attention to anyone else? This sweet little deer or antelope or whatever it is isn't going to stay that way much longer. Complacency makes you feel secure. Now here's the problem. You see, success will breed complacency because once you have achieved a level of success, you tend to want to keep that status quo and guard it as best you can. And in doing that, complacency will be the architect of your downfall. Now that's by Jeremy Gunch, who is the founder of Treadhunter.com, and this is from the business world. He declares this statement, but I want to tell you, I think that that's a pretty clear spiritual statement as well. The architect, the one who builds our own downfall is our complacency. Remember Peter said, be aware, be alert for your enemy. The devil seeks those whom he may, what, devour? Paul says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. But if we're not alert, we can be snared by an enemy. If we become complacent, we can be building our own downfall. And I think we've been doing that. The success of the United States has been wonderful. It's been awesome. And our culture has been quite successful. One of the richest cultures in the world. But what has happened with it and the success of the church, we've had such freedom to worship and have the airwaves and do whatever we want. And so we keep preaching about our prosperity and about our uh, wealth and about our well-being and about how good we can have it. And I think we've forgotten the kingdom. That kind of complacency is dangerous. Let me take you to some of the assumptions of complacency. What you begin to assume when you're complacent. I'm all right as I am. I'm good. You good? Is everything good? See, in a spiritual condition, when you stand in the presence of a holy God, there's one thing you understand I'm not good. C.S. Lewis said something about the fire of God. He said the fire of God as you approach His holiness will either cause you to back away or it will cause you to draw nearer from its burning. 
we're not okay. Complacency would say, you're saved, you're good, you're going to heaven, got your ticket, everybody on board? Good, let's just coast, have a good time. But, but truly the Spirit of God would check our hearts and say, I want to refine you even greater because remember what we were predestined for? That means that from the beginning of time, God had planned that you and I would be conformed and shaped to the very image of Jesus Christ. This image doesn't look like him yet. I got a long way to go. I got some stretching and pulling and some shaving off that he's got to do in my life. And I can't be complacent about that. I, how about you? How about this? Things look good from my perspective. I was at a dinner yesterday uh, celebrating Handyman Ministries and, and uh, the work that they're doing there, and I was sitting next to a, a young man, and I was with a pastor as well, and we were talking about the day and the hour, how we need to be prepared and ready. We said, there's a real problem and trouble coming to this nation. He says, why do you say that? What do you think? And I, he said, you know, what's the problem? There's nothing wrong. I said, really? I, I really think there is. Let's just start with the economic problems we're, we're in the midst of and a global economic crisis. And he said, nah, there's nothing wrong. It's not a problem there. He said, from my point of view, that's not a problem. And he kept saying, from my point of view, and that stuck with me. Because how many of you know our perspectives are really limited? And complacency would have you evaluate life from your vantage point. And this is what Scripture gives us. It is transcendent. It is a truth outside of us. It is not relative. It is reality. The truth is transcendent. And when we search the Scriptures and when we hear the voice of the Spirit, we will get a transcendent truth that will give us a perspective on things apart from ourselves. That is essential. So complacency also says, grace will tolerate my sin. Though the blood does cover our sin, my sin breaks fellowship with Father. My sin breaks intimacy with the Lord. My sin breaks communicating and me hearing and listening to His words. Though I am saved, my continuing and habitual and addiction to sin will cause me to no longer listen to the Lord, but listen to my opinion and crave my desires instead of His. It's not enough to say, by grace I'm saved. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. He wants us to become the righteousness of God. Now, you can't become complacent about that, can you? No. And then the last one... <laughs> There's always enough time to change. Complacency breeds procrastination. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get better. I'll try harder next time. Isn't it funny how we evaluate some of the things we work so hard to do, some things you really put all your effort in? And I'd have to ask yourself, as I ask myself today, am I living for Christ with all my heart, mind, soul, and body? Am I engaging my intellect to its fullest to serve the Lord? Have I really begun to search the depths of Scripture? Have I devoted my heart and my interest 24-7 to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, to love those around me and serve them? And so complacency breeds these things, and these are the assumptions we have 
as we move into complacency, and you might know some folks like this, and you might even bear witness to your own self of these assumptions. So what are the warning signs that maybe we're guilty of these things? Now you're seeing from my vantage point. (laughs) And some of the wives are going... (laughs) What are some of the warning signs of complacency? Here's the first one. What we have here is a failure to communicate. (laughs) What happens with complacency is we stop communicating to Father. We really do. We stop listening and we stop talking. What we normally do in complacency is we put our orders in. As if ordering from a menu, we give him our order and then we tip him with our tithe. But the tip is to ensure promptness. That's what tip means. When you're at a restaurant, how many of you knew that? I I didn't know that. To ensure promptness. So uh, uh, your waitress or waiter will want to do a good job so that their tip will be bigger, so it will ensure promptness. You give them a tip. And we do that with God. You see, we, we decide how much, how much we're going to give to him if he's been prompt enough to answer our prayers. If not, we resist him and become complacent and stop communicating to him. We then begin to divide up. Now remember, these are warning signs. If, if it bears witness, then let's do something about it. But what we decide to do is we begin to divide up then that which is sacred and that which is secular. Complacency begins to breed this distinction where we no longer consider everything sacred to God, no matter what we put our hands to, we begin to then separate and say, I'll do my duty and I'll obey and go to church on Sundays, now and then on Wednesdays. I'll read a devotional when I can. I'll do this. But the rest of the time, I've got work to do. God wants you to sanctify all the work that you put your hands to and everything that you do unto his purpose, no matter what it is. No matter what it is, bring him into it and let him bring glory to it. The next thing is a lukewarmness. I've spoken on this already. You tend to notice that you begin to look like the people around you. There doesn't seem to be a distinction. And probably one of the best markers to help you see if you're distinct from the society around you is your children will begin to observe your Christianity and model it. It's not always the case. They grow up and then have their own decisions and they will then determine whether they want to be distinct from the society or not. But these are warning signs. Are you distinct enough? Do the people at your job know you're a believer? Or are you working undercover? And then this one, the Lord really spoke to my heart as to what true complacency is. You no longer ask. You no longer seek. And you no longer knock. We don't. Jesus said, 
If you ask, you'll receive, right? If you knock, the door will be answered. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. And that's where complacency is broken when we begin to seek with all of our hearts. And Israel had forgotten to do this. Israel stopped. So we're in the ministry of Amos right now, and we're trying to figure out, well, then how do I speak to this complacency? How do we present it to other people so that we can help them break off their complacency from the Lord? And so here would be the first one. Fear God. We have been trying so hard to present a Jesus that everybody can love and that can be everybody's friend to where if we make sure that we have such a happy Jesus, kind of like, um, who's, the, uh, who's the McDonald's? Ronald McDonald. We've presented Ronald McDonald Jesus. And we've made him happy and carefree and so loving for everybody. And we know that he loves us all. But one thing that we've forgotten to do as the church is to present a holy and reverent God. And I'll tell you, one of the first things that'll help complacency is to have the fear of God put in you. Many people change when they end up in the hospital with a heart attack or some kind of failure, and they recognize how quickly their life could be taken. It's a radical change. But I'll tell you what, and I really believe this with all my heart, that if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could have an encounter with God once again as to his holiness and to his reverence, I think complacency would be broken out of our lives, where we would once again fear God. Do you remember John who laid his head on the bosom of Jesus? Do you remember when he would just talk to him at the Last Supper and he would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? That's nice, right? There's Peter, there's James. Oh, yes, and here am I, the disciple that Jesus loved. But when John saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, did he put his head on his chest? Did he run up and say, hey, Jesus, it's me? He fell flat on his face for fear and trembling, for the fire in his eyes and the sword coming out of his mouth and the glory that shine and shone around him and his feet burning as in brass. He fell before a holy God. This is one way to break complacency. And we need to present a holy God to the world. And they're going to have a complaint with this. Can I, have, can I give you a warning right away? Those of you working in the prophetic, which all of you are, you're speaking for the Lord Jesus Christ, can I encourage you that once you begin to present a holy God, unholy people aren't going to like it. Right? You can let them know that you yourself were unholy until the blood cleansed you, and there is a remedy for that, but there'll be many people who don't want a holy God because they don't want to be accountable to Him. So don't get upset with that, but continue to present it that God is holy and righteous. Secondly, we need to get inspired again. We need to get stirred. We need to stir up. Paul said to Peter, now that's our responsibility. We keep putting that on the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that? Especially Pentecostals. 
you know, we come to a service and we expect him to perform. Come on. It was a bit of a dud of a service today, wasn't it? Yeah. I didn't get a shiver, did you? Paul says, stir up the gift within you. Now, whose responsibility is that? Timothy, stir it up. Stir it up. He said, God gave it to you by the laying on of hands. It's yours. Now do something with it. Whip it up. Boo, move. He said, earnestly covet the greater gifts. How many of you want to covet the greater gifts? I mean, you lust and hunger for greater gifts. I'm coming to church. I'm going to my bedside. I'm getting up early because, God, I need a greater gift from you. Stir it up. We need to get inspired again. Amen? We then also need to gather together. We need to continue to stir each other up and gather together. Uh, Hebrews tells us, don't give up on gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is an end times verse. When it says, as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 13, what day is he talking about? The, the return of Christ. And this is interesting because he says this would be a key verse for the end times, the last days. And he says one of the things that will be essential for you to break the spirit of complacency is to gather together to spur each other on, as the King James says. Spur each other on. Excite each other over the love of the Lord. And he says there are those who are not doing this. Now, in America, where Christianity has become so complacent, there is such an attack on the gathering of the church. We don't need to gather anymore. There's no need for formal gathering of the bride of Christ. You can just stay home and do it. You don't even need to get together. You've got an app for it now. And what he's saying more than ever is we must gather together. We must be inspired and spur each other on. We must fear God. And last of all, we must obey God. Well, he loves us so much and he's so gracious to forgive us of everything. What's it matter if we don't do everything he says? That's complacency. That's such complacency. And what we have lost in our eyes is Christ on the cross, bleeding and dying for us, rising from the dead to rule and reign over this earth and to be his ambassadors. Now, it's as if we have a union that we're saying, you can't fire us, you can't get rid of us, we'll just do what we want to do. God says, no. Obey me and all that I have commanded. What's the conclusion? Ask yourself these questions. How different am I from a non-Christian neighbor? Where am I placing my trust? And last of all, do I spend more time pleasing myself than seeking God? And those really were the questions, and that was the de declaration Amos had to Israel. What happened to you? Those who were at ease in Zion. Let's not be at ease. Let's be ready. Let's be soldiers. Let's be armed and dangerous for an enemy that is on the prowl. 
Let's bow our heads. Jesus, help us.